it is the pink elephant theory. If the guest wants a pink elephant, get them a pink elephant. If you can't find a pink elephant, get a horse, paint it pink, convince the guest that's an elephant. Do whatever it takes to ensure they're happy. That's it. Are they happy? We are back. Chris Adams here. It is the pink elephant. And um, I'm super excited today. I've got the one, the only. Um, I, you know, there's so many things that come to mind when I see your face. And the first thing that pops in my head when I see the one and only Jesse Mills is I feel like you should always have a bottle of champagne in your hands because that's just it's synonymous with you. Yeah, I mean, champagne. I hate to let you down. <laughs> man, champagne, Jesse. Jesse Mills, it's so great to have you on the show, man. Oh, thank you. And it's a pleasure to be here and to come on the platform and discuss some great things. And a lot of these conversations that we have as gentlemen and, and being connected to hospitality retails and brands on a daily basis, we have in a private setting or over social media or when we have the opportunity to text or catch up with each other. So it's nice to actually get this on a published format where we can share these dialogues that people have within the industry and get them out into the world. Agreed. Agreed. And you do such an amazing job. If uh, anybody that's not familiar with, with Jesse's content on social media, I mean, a guru at building brands um, and really the, the marketing side of helping companies figure out who they are and how to tell their story. But man, your content on social is so freaking good. Like Thanks. it's, I'll be honest, like to the point where like it frustrates me because I suck at social and like it's I know it's I know I'm not good at it. I accept it. Right. I, I mean, I take that I take that task on and know that I'm not good at it. But then I see yours pop up and I'm like, it, why is he so good at it? It has it makes me feel worse about how bad I am. At mine. <laughs> well, you know what? Um, there's a lot of things that you do very well that I have no clue about, you know, <laughs> that you do to turn around businesses within the hospitality space to put structure to get teams aligned to get put concepts in place to get things started i'm very green in that area and one of the most amazing things is is one is having the wherewithal to know where there's gaps for our personal skill set and also where there's also bandwidth i mean nowadays there's so many resources you have ai you have tools you have tricks you have you know, traditional forms of schooling and all of these different tools and resources is really kind of informational overload. But if we spend enough time and apply diligence within a certain area, we can achieve some level of at least understanding or workable knowledge in that space. Definitely not mastery. That comes when you have the kind of resume and experience level that you have over a period, sustained period of time. But I say that to get to my central point. And my central point is that where there are gaps we need to be comfortable having trusted individuals that can come in who have the, the resume and the results in those areas and allow our ego to step aside, uh, create some time for a specialist to come in and specialize. And one thing I want to share and urge the audience to know and understand is allow specialists to specialize and specifically allow specialists to specialize in the areas that you have deficiency in or you just don't even necessarily have the time or bandwidth to achieve your goal in that area. So it's okay to, it's okay to not be good at everything. You know, we yeah. have, we've been, we've, we've all been created as unique beings that have a unique set of skills, talents, educational level, life experience, and that, that we put in, into our tool chest and use, you know, as an arsenal to go out in the business world and to conquer and to empower and to help and to grow enterprises. And if there's a specific tool or, or a, a weapon or, or skill that somebody else has that we don't, we have to welcome them to join the team, to join the army, to accomplish the goal. The ultimate goal is, is to, to progress and to win the battle. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's such a good point you're making, man. And letting people, and I mean, I think you could take, you could adapt that same message from whether you're dealing with a consultant or an outside, a third party that's helping you with your business or with your own team right? Yeah. You hire hopefully great people to focus on areas and you bring them on because they're great in specific things that they do. Let them be great, right? Let, let clear the path for them so they can go out and, and be phenomenal at what they do. So that's, I mean, that's such a great message. I think across the board, when we're talking about a business. And clearing is, the pathway is something that 
and I and I'm sorry that the, the it's clearing the pathway is something that starts internally first. Yes. It's so true. I was I was literally about to say, because you're so dead on with that, is it's very difficult for a lot of people to have that that honest conversation with themselves. Right. And I always say, you know, be careful to never let yourself pursue someone else's um, passion. Right. Because that's not that's their purpose, not yours. And a lot of times the inability for you to have an open and honest conversation with yourself of where your talents are, where your talents aren't, things that you should be focusing on. Are you chasing uh, a dollar? Are you chasing a, a, a lifestyle that you know you see on Instagram or something else versus going after what you're actually talented at and the things that can make you happy um, internally? That, that's a tough conversation to have sometimes with yourself. So I, you know, I couldn't agree more, man. Your comparison is something that could sometimes distract us off of our goal. Um, and also having a sense of imposter syndrome to think, am I, do I have the schools, the, the tools and the resources and the experience to actually go into endeavor in the industry that I'm servicing in or looking to service in? Or is this something yeah. that I'm doing because I've seen it before and I think that I should model my life in this way? And exactly. so we have to ourselves okay what's our impetus and and really comes to kind of an a soulful a soulful place of purpose and responsibility in terms of our gift and how we're manifesting that into the world yeah couldn't agree more i want to jump over really quick and talk about i mean obviously you're a guru at at helping brand build brands and when we're talking about building a brand there's there's a term that i'm hearing nonstop. i was just speaking at a conference this week and I got asked literally 50 times and every question had the, had the word storytelling in it. Everybody's about storytelling, storytelling. What do you think, what's your opinion on one? I think this word is getting overused right now. And I think people are losing um, the true meaning of what that is storytelling. How much does that play into what you do on a daily basis of building a brand and the storytelling that goes alongside of, you know, that, that process. Storytelling on my end um, starts with understanding your brand, its missions and its purpose. And brands are designed to fulfill a solution. Brands aren't just designed to be designed. You have to remember the purpose in terms of what your brand was built and the gap that your brand is filling in the marketplace. You're not just doing a brand because it's sexy. It's not doing a brand because it's hip and trendy. You're creating a brand because it's fulfilling a purpose and a need within the marketplace. And so you've done the diligence to see where that opportunity is and how your brand, um, supported by a great business model, can fill that gap. Now, with that, there comes a story. Okay, um, Within gaps, there's an industry, there's a customer, and then there's a solution. right? But first, before the solution, you have a problem. The problem is what creates the gap in the first place and or opportunity, depending on what you look like. The story of your brand is how it fills the need of your customer. So how do we take this from a gap to a problem and a need into a solution? And what are the steps in between that that takes it to this place? Um, we were having an issue um, with the accessibility um, before fast food was commonplace, there was an issue with the accessibility of foods as motorists were entering, um, you know, motorways, right? Right. And then there became a need then, and very simply put, for fast food. Then you have the emergence of McDonald's and you have proliferation of the fast food industry who are designed to fill a gap now that we have motorists entering the road and they now need to have food faster, more readily accessible and on the go. And, and that's how you see the the kind of the origin of, of the convenience factor coming into place as people were more mobile, less agrarian and farm fed. And then they became going out into the world and needing food to fulfill their daily goals and needs. You know? Yeah. And so you're looking at, you know, that's where you have your story, right? You have that story of that person who's evolved, who's on the way, who's on the go, who's feeling satisfied by the service that you're, you're offering at a high level. Yeah, I think about my, our brand, right? And I go, the foundation of when I when we established it, right? When I when I came up with the AG and said we're going to do this, and the core of who we are as a brand 
it's crazy how much it's evolved, right? And we're what we do now and to the the capacity that we do it, man, wasn't even remotely close to the scope when we started years ago. But the core of who we are and and that mission of of what I established on day one, it's still who it, it's still there. It's still on the website. That's still who we are at at the core of our company, even though we continue to evolve and adapt and really fill the gap. Like you said, it's like there's the opportunity and man, we have we have the skill set, we have the team, we can fill that gap and you see the evolution of your brand take place. So it's um, I, I think with most brands, as you evolve, your ability to fill the gap, find those spaces with whatever industry you're in and fill that void. I mean, that's that's how you build a brand. I mean, that's how you that's how you're able to grow as a company is find a void, fill the void. People need you. Right. Supply and demand. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's it, it, that's your brand story and your brand is unique because with brand differentiation, the goal is to fill that need in a different way than the competition or the other people within your industry. That's how you get your your unique selling proposition or that's how you get your differentiation within the marketplace. So you not so you're not plagued by by the problems that come with being seamless or lookalike brand. Um, yep. Another way that that's the specific way through kind of a, a sense of 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 novelty but also through innovation you have the seven the second mover advantage within building a brand and and working in the in the op space where you can take an existing concept and you can make it better or you can own the second space there's a lot of different approaches it's not necessarily brand leadership all the time sometimes it's having a niche brand sometimes it's being okay with being number two like hertz hertz is okay with hey saying i'm good with being number two to enterprise like they're okay with that, right? So there's a there's a certain comfortability in that. Whereas you have Pepsi that's going for like I don't know if they're ever going to do it, but they're like they're trying to over they're always going to be trying to overtake Coke. But it's not bad to be number two in that industry. <laughs> they, they they still move a lot of cases, so they still move a lot of cases. So it's 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 being comfortable in your brand's differentiation. If they're red, I'm going to be blue, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. How much have you seen coming out of the pandemic and all the crisis that took place with that? And you saw the transition of people <clears throat> going home and, and working virtually. And, you know, everybody was on social media. TikTok really blew up over that time period. Um, I mean, I laugh. I was like, TikTok, man. I was like, my prettier half, she could have saved four years of college because she's learned more on TikTok in the past two years than she ever did in college. Right. Um, how much have you seen social media um, and that side of things transition post-pandemic? Is it drastically different now than it was, let's say, in 2019? I think you had more people in front of their devices with more with more free time. And so... Yeah. Uh, you know, an idle mind can can spark creativity. An idle mind is going to seek ways to be fulfilled, um, entertained, and educated. And so what you found is that um, people were going to be in front of their devices more and looking for ways to educate and entertain themselves on their devices. Uh, so you get the continued growth of social media. Um, you also have the growth of different platforms. You have the growth of using the mobile components that are integrated within social media, like Instagram Live, for instance, or streaming from home. I mean, we even met on a, a digital platform and we did our first Instagram Live um, via a digital via digital conference that I hosted um, with me, yourself, Irma, and a few others within the industry. And so... It created an opportunity for people to meet and collaborate and become more comfortable within virtual spaces to the point where a lot of companies said, okay, this older model of the work from office um, can be shifted into more of a work from home model because they saw that working from home doesn't necessarily decrease productivity. It, it increases you know, the workforce's comfort level. Um, and they're still able to grow and build, collaborate, and connect uh, through technology. And so if we ever were reliant on technology, we became more reliant on it through social media, 
we we utilize social media for more forms of tools, creativity, and communication. And from my vantage point, I saw people using social media as a way to create businesses within the digital space, collaborations, and also conversations. If you look at the growth of the podcast industry and people building, recording, and streaming services like we're on streaming right now, um, you see the growth of that through social media. You saw the um, you saw the the Zoom stock skyrocket. It's since it's since you know based on my last <laughs> view, has kind of chilled out a little bit. You saw the use of Zoom and those other collaborative um, conversational spaces, virtual conversational spaces, um, and those spaces increase. So I do think that that the pandemic, from a work from home perspective from a communication perspective and also from the creativity perspective and education perspective, um, significantly um, improved our understanding of social media, increased our use of it and made it more a part of our everyday lives. If it, if it needed to be even more, we're, we're further entrenched in it than we were before, yeah. more intimately entrenched. Do you think that's affecting, if we take the business side out of it, Right. I mean, we all know that at this point, if you're not taking advantage of social media from a business perspective, you're it's missed opportunity. Um, if we look at it from a social personal side, I've got two daughters. Right. And they're they're a little bit older. One's still a teenager. Um, how much do you think social media is impacting? Um, obviously, it's impacting the culture, but. You know, depressions at a at a at a rate that's unheard of. Uh, suicides at a rate that that's unheard of. How much do you think that social media has an impact on those numbers? I think that social media definitely makes you look at people and things um, through rose colored glasses because yeah. you're getting you are getting the stories and the highlights and the personas that brands, um, people, and things would like to put out there um, and in their best versions of themselves. Nowadays with the Dove campaign and other campaigns around social responsibility, you're seeing brands become more responsible within their messaging and programming way more than they were in the 2000s and the 90s. However, that does, has it, you know, impacted some of those things um, that we discussed, the different rates that you shared. Um, but I think that that comparison and competition are at an all-time high. And we tend to already look at the world as a, unfortunately through the lens of what people have and we don't versus looking at it as, hey, they're living a life and an opportunity and a path that is different from mine. And mine has been cultivated differently because of who I am. Yeah. Instead of that, we look at it through the lens of envy and insecurity and we're processing other people's highlights against our reality and processing other people's highlights against our reality has a very, very, very distinct psychological disadvantage that affects us, our feeling of self-worth, our feeling of self-love, our feeling of self-value. And what really is our role in place in society? Can we compete? Are we pretty enough? Do we have enough money? Does our boyfriend look like that? Does our girlfriend look like that? Um, um, dang, so-and-so just got a new range. So it's like you're looking at everybody else's highlights who's seemingly living their best life and you're measuring other people's highlight reel against your, your self-practicing in the gym and you're not even in the league yet. And that creates uh, a, a very, very negative uh, mental space. Dude, I love the line you just said and, and I'm going to steal it, but I'm gonna, I'll credit you every time I use it. Just yeah. so you know. But... The fact that be careful not to use other people's highlight reels against your reality. I mean, that is, that's exactly it. You hit the nail on the head of the fear that I have. I've gotten to a place that I, as I've gotten older, I'm extremely competitive. I always want to win. And so for me, I, when I see other people finding success, the older I've gotten, man, I just want people to win. Like I just, I, I crave, and, and look, I can't say this. It's been that way my entire life in full transparency. Um, I think I've always had a heart for other people, um, which is why I think, uh, you know, I, I was drawn to the hospitality industry, but the older I've gotten, I am, I am desperate to see people win. I crave seeing other people find success, 
when they find success, it pushes me in a competitive way to say, I want to push harder too. But man, I, I crave to see people win in, in whatever they're doing in life. And it breaks my heart to see um, a, a culture, a society, um, uh, young kids that are constantly measuring themselves against this fictitious thing that it has nothing to do with them, their place, their self-worth, their value. Um, and it let, and I see them, they, they get beat down by it um, based on something that's many times not even real. And it, it's like I, I, I want to be that person that always sees what you're supposed to be, sees the, the potential of what you are. And, and I want others to see that in themselves so bad. And, it, and that's the part that scares me about social um, and, and what's happened with it is because there's so much attention placed on it. Um, but it's always placed, like you said, on the highlight reel. And, and that's a that's a scary place to be. Right. And, it, and it's and it's, you know, you're in the grocery store shop with avocados, you know, and you can't <laughs> pulling up on your feet in a Lamborghini. You're just like, man, my life feels so normal. I'm just watching CNN and eating an avocado. Like it's just it just makes me feel so normal. Like normal will never look so unsexy. Whereas like most of our existence is just that, you know, that's, that's true. That's so true. What do you think is, you know, when we look at from a business perspective now, transitioning to that, where I, you hear constantly, you turn on the news and it's recession, this and the world. Yeah, I mean, it's it's constantly the negative, the negative, the negative. Yet from you're seeing people spending habits right now or at an all time high, like especially if I, I'll take the hospitality industry. Rates are higher than they've ever been. So to stay at a, at a, at a hotel, any hotel. I'm not even talking about luxury hotels. Rates are higher than they've ever been. Um, the cost of goods is higher than it's ever been. To go out to dinner costs more than it's ever been. So, And people are spending money. I was at a conference two days ago, and they're telling me, our numbers right now are better than they've ever been before. Like they're crushing their numbers. Yet everything you see is recession and things are bad. What do you do from a branding perspective? as a company, as an organization, I, I know what we've done, but I'm curious your thoughts on believing the hype or, or listening to the data. What, what should you do as a company right now when you start looking at branding, marketing, where to position yourself uh, in whatever market you're in based on what you're hearing versus what the reality is that you're seeing? Um, that's a great, that's a great, um, a great question. Okay, so you have data, you have data, and then you have you have what we will call different forms of data, right? I believe in science they call it empirical data. That's the actual information that you know from your day-to-day, -day, your life experience, from the industry that you're privy to, that you digest all the time. And then you have more macro data that's like globalized data. Okay. Yep. It's okay to be cognizant of what's happening on the macro level. Because there's going to be indications of things that happen on this level that are going to drill down and affect us on the micro level. But as we're privy to empirical data and we know what's happening within our industry, within our market, you know, in hospitality is closely, closely connected within the beverage industry. There's a bar in, in every hotel um, and sales data will tell you a lot about which categories consumers are drinking and which accounts are performing well and at what volume those accounts are performing. And so you take the localized data that affects you in your industry. Let's say you're an on-premise representative uh, for Red Bull. You have to take the industry data that you know from your localized area and from your account list and measure that up against what's happening on a macro level yep. and say, okay, cool. How can I drill this down and make sense of this? The, the answer is we need to evaluate the global data as well as the micro data. We need to more so trust the stuff that is going to affect our industry and our outcome and the performance of our specific duty and task for our client. Yeah. And so there could be things happen in a legal industry, but my clients are predominantly within a personal injury. So I need to really look and see what's happening in personal injury and then look and see how that's localized and how that's affecting businesses within the respective market. Also, you have to look at very, very simple things that aren't related to big data and big charts. OK, you do have, you know, a growing list of people who have been laid off in certain industries. 
you have some industries in which technology and AI are creeping in those industries. Those are two very, very, those are two very, very um, real things and threats to those respective industries. You have other industries that work inversely with those industries that are increasing because those industries are on a downward trend. And this is more economic than it is, than it is news-based. And so be privy to some of those principles. Ray Dalio has a book called Principles, and he talks about the long-term debt cycle and the short-term debt cycle and how it, it, it basically influences what happens within the financial, the financial world. And if you follow the cycle, you are going to find that there's an inverse and in, in, in a, a certain relationship between some actions and other actions. Measure those relationships up against your industry and use your empirical data that you're gathering every day from yourself and your 20 closest friends and associates and use that to make informed and synthesized decisions on whereas it can affect you on a specific micro individualized level. And also, we always have to think, we always have to put on our customer cap and our client cap. Yep. What data is most imperative that I can use to make sure that my customers and my clients have a better outcomes and they trust me more. Yep. Right. For me, that's data in terms of that's data in terms of lifestyle, culture, trends, social media, communications, motivation. I need to be focused on the specific industries and the pillars. And I have pillars within these respective industries. And my pillars are education, empowerment, and entertainment and deliver my services within those three pillars to those industries that I named at a high level. So what data helps me do that at the best level? Yeah. No, that's such, I mean, you're giving such great information to companies of be collect data, be smart about how you use the data, make sure that you're taking that data from all the different sources and applying it to the areas that make most sense for where your business is, where you're trying to go. And I think, you, you touched on something that's important too. Where is your, where is your target demographic customer? Where are they at and where are they going? Right. And, and I think that's, that's such a key to making sure you understand where they are so you can meet them, you can meet them where they're going. Um, so that, that's really good stuff. Are you seeing going into beverage? Cause you do a lot on the beverage side as, as do we, but there was such a huge trend that was happening and I'd love to see where you, your take on where it is, but the trend of local, right? So you have the big brands. You've got the the Gooses and the Ciroc's and the Bacardi. Like that, you've got the big brands out there, and then you've got the local brand. You've got the local guy down the street that is producing something small batch, um, and everybody was was going crazy of I want local, local, local. Where are you seeing that now? Are you seeing that trend continue? Or are you seeing it level out a little bit, um, becoming a little bit more balanced, um, or at least the the hype around it, um, is it dying down that trend of local? Um, it really depends on the category in, in that you're in. I see that small batch and in local efforts are very, very prevalent and will continue to remain prevalent within the beer industry. As you can see, the see breweries and, you know, different beer brands, um, that are, have been successful in a craft capacity. Craft uh, leans more, in my observation, and I'm speaking about the markets in which I worked in, craft leans to have more significance within the beer and within brown spirits. Where I see more generalization in typically younger consumers and trendier consumers, when you're talking Gen Z, millennial, some of the Gen Y and others, the trendier millennials are going to go with the direction that the parties, the influencers, and the culture push them, whereas the some of the more discerning and consumers with a more seasoned palate in a certain type of lifestyle are going to go after craft. That's usually within the brown spirits category, cognacs, whiskeys, um, what have you, and also within the beer category. As you get into tequilas it still exists right um but 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 it's not as prevalent as it is within those other categories with those behemoths you know within those places so 
it depends on who you're asking and what their lifestyle is and how close are they to trend. And you're going to find that based on the younger demographics, they're going to consume with what's closer to trend. Whereas as somebody gets a more seasoned and matured palate, they're going to go more into a, a craft, into a specific type of scotch, into a craft beer, into something that's more local. They'll start thinking about the the impact and the imprint of the purchase they're making, where now it's not just liquid, but they're thinking about tasting history and also influencing their local economy. That's usually mm -hmm. something a little bit more savvy, slightly older, older demographic is going to value. And in those specific categories in which they consume, they're going to yeah. value those things in those categories. It's funny because as, as you're talking, I'm going, it's almost shifted from, you know, local, local craft to now, you know, agave spirits are one of the hottest, you know, spirits mm -hmm. on the market right now. So that, that's your tequila mezcal. And now mm -hmm. it, that makes me immediately go. Yeah. And also every celebrity on the planet, is you know has a tequila has an agave spirit out there and you know that was all it was all spurred if you if you really go back yes was it you know um sammy cabo wabo had he, he he kind of what is it was one of the original um that most people don't realize of a celebrity having a spirit brand and then it transitioned the big one that everybody talks about that everybody tries to replicate because they all want to do it is of course Casamigos with George and, and George Clooney and Randy Gerber of the idea of, Oh, we're just going to start a tequila brand and then sell it for a billion dollars a few years later. And it's like the mindset was, I'm just going to be a celebrity, put my name on it. It's going to work. And that didn't play out so well for, for some celebrities that tried to do that. For some, it played out the rail for the rock with Terramana. Oh. Or there's well and the crazy part is you've got the rock that that's done really well with it um you know weirdly enough conor mcgregor's um his irish whiskey it did well Probably for him with, yeah it, it did well for him he actually i think he sold recently um okay. ryan reynolds and aviation has done really well aviation um, uh brian craniston and aaron paul's mezcal dos hombres is doing phenomenal right now <laughs> But then I can give you 10 or 15 others that. Uh, how is Cormino, so how is Cormino doing? I know that's Kevin Hart's behind that. It's a tequila, Cormino tequila. Um, you know, it's it's tough to say. I don't see it on a ton of back bars. Um, and I'm, at the same time, I hear I hear there's a lot of hype around it. So, yep. I, you know, the more and more you hear and I'll say the same. I could say the same thing about the the rock. I didn't see it on a ton of back bars. And then next thing you know, I see the numbers come out and he's crushing it. I didn't yep. see proper 12 on a bunch of back bars. The next thing you know, they show the numbers and the guys, you know, Connor sold for a few hundred million dollars. So, I mean, it, it's tough to, to see where it's being sold between on-premise and off-premise. But a lot of these guys are doing extremely well with their products. And I will, the one thing I'll say, and I think you could probably speak to this, the brands that have struggled versus the brands that did really well. And if you say, okay, well, why did one do better than the other? And it, it's not really, in my opinion, about the juice that's in the bottle, because for most, that's, that, that's a matter of opinion. That's based on your palate, whether you like something or you don't like something. The brands that have done really well are, are the, the, the celebrities that are behind them are truly invested in them. And I don't mean financially. I mean that they have truly invested their time their energy behind the brand, their commitment to the brand's longevity and growth. Ryan Reynolds, The Rock, Kevin Hart, those guys, they're, they're, they're talking about it on social. They're involved in it. They're jumping on Zoom calls with guys like me and brands talking about how we can get involved with some of the brands that we represent and clients. They're at conferences showing face with bartenders. They're committed to the growth of their brand. And as a result, I think you're seeing the fruits of their labor of the brands doing really well versus some of the others that were like, oh, I'm just going to slap my name on it. And that's good because I'm a celebrity. And and for me, that was a big differentiator in the ones that I saw that were finding success versus those that weren't. And I don't know if that was if you saw the same thing. That's just something I, I seem to notice. Yeah. Um, one of the biggest things that one of my mentors in the beverage industry told me, John Vasquez. Um, when we were doing collaborations with some sparkling beverages um, with Diageo, he said, liquid the lips, you know, um, liquid the lips. 
is very, very important. So having a good um, distribution strategy to get it into accounts, but then once you get it into accounts, having a go-to-market strategy that supports it on the front end where you have marketing dollars to make sure that you're getting the liquid to the lips, right? Another thing is, it's visibility and awareness. Mm -hmm. So most people are not savvy spirit connoisseurs. Most people are not cigar cigar connoisseurs. Yeah. That's why you have the category of a connoisseur because everybody else is general market, right? The connoisseur is more refined, developed palate and taste for said thing, right? Yep. And so if most of the market is general market and general market is generally swayed with the direction of cultural trends and where it goes and what's happening, if you have a face that's leading general market that is swaying the authority and the opinion around a spirit or something fun, that casual customer is going to lean towards where they're seeing the most visibility, what they have the most awareness around, and also what their friends are drinking. Yeah. And so what you find with the celebrity endorsement is that you have all of those layers, and all of those layers create an avalanche, what I call an avalanche of influence, which is where if I have to make a split-second decision when I'm in the package store, or I'm at the liquor store, which one am I going to go with if it's my first time trying a spirit within this category and I have a yeah. set of money to spend? Typically, I'm going there 50 or 60 bucks and I have a choice of a vodka. Which one am I going to go with? Am I going to go with the one that Diddy is talking about? Am I going to go with the one that I've seen the most commercials about? Or if I'm, am I going to try this, this, craft, this craft vodka from San Jose? Yeah. Most often, the general market customer is going to say, you know what? I'm going to go with the thing that's the easiest, quickest decision. And people are looking for the easiest, quick, split-second route to make a consumer decision. And they're basically going to go with the area where there's more influence. Another thing that we have to be focused on is the subconscious power of marketing, advertising, and branding. So when that truck goes by us in traffic, when that bus goes by us on a billboard, we're not fully tuned in. We're on our phone. We're making sure we're crossing the street safely. Our subconscious mind picks up that imagery when we're on that billboard in the middle of rush hour, right? When we're when we're in the sec in in the other room and the TV's on in the other room, Crown Royal, drink responsibly. All of that information is being gathered within our powerful subconscious of our mind. And there's a really big book called Unconscious Branding by Douglas Van Prayet. And he talks about the power of utilizing subconscious triggers, whether it's jingles, imagery, um, submersive, submersive proliferation of social media and advertising. And over a period of time, you're like, what's influencing you to actually make these decisions? You don't even really have a lot of cognitive power. You're almost autonomously making the buying decision because you have so many impressions of the brand. I just read last week um, an article, and it's probably the third time I've seen studies done on this. And it basically said that oh, it is now through studies, they say that over 90% of our decision-making as human beings is done by social influence. That's crazy. 90% of our decision-making done by social influence. Of and what you, you just said. And who are you going to trust? Are you going to trust another person who's a peer, who's in your group and what they're consuming? Or are you going to trust a naked and a raw viewpoint from somebody that you don't have a relationship with? And so the reason why social influence and influencer programs and branding on social media is so important is because people want to go the places their friends are going. They want to drink the places at the places their friends are drinking and what their friends are drinking. And they want to know what time is to do it best. Right. So reviews, social recommend, social recommendation, influencer programs and the proper use of that within your marketing mix is so critical to brands in these times. And we have an unlimited uh, power and a lot of tools and resources to support us in doing this. And one thing that is 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 really is really dope. While the selection process can be done through technology and a sense of automation, you can't duplicate the recommendation from Jesse to Chris Adams 
There's no machine. There's no commercial. There's no thing that is stronger than Chris Adams saying somebody that I know that has great taste is drinking this and enjoying it. Yep. You know, you can't, you can't replace the power of social recommendation. It is huge for brands. Yeah. What, um, I'm going to shift a little bit as we're coming to the, to the end of this now, how do you think we're doing as a culture, as a society, socially, um, the, the past five years, four years has been a roller coaster of emotions for a lot of people, for a, for a, a myriad of reasons. Do you think we're still that we are moving in the right direction as a society? Um, Great question. Great question. One of the things that I saw that I saw is something that that we need to continue to work on within businesses across the board. We've had this conversation before Mm -hmm. is keeping the pedal to the metal with diversity making sure that there is proper representation and inclusion across all industries, specifically at the highest levels, and that there are programs and things are in place to mitigate unconscious bias and comfort levels around working with people that look like you and also don't look like you. That is something that's a growing level of concern that was strong about two or three years ago. And since that wave has kind of subsided, some of those programs and initiatives and things around that um, need to be improved within corporate and company leadership across the board. Um, And it helps in a lot of different ways. It just doesn't help in terms of representation or inclusion for the sake of representation and inclusion. In order to satisfy the demand of a customer base that doesn't all look the same and come from different backgrounds and different and have been nurtured and cultivated in a different way. We have to speak to our audience in distinct and unique voices in which our products and brands can be consumed. So in order to do that, we have to have the diversity really of thoughts and minds within the rooms that are making these decisions. Because like you said, the nation is growing. The nation is growing and as you see, as, as the demographics are changing, everything is kind of meshing. <laughs> yeah. Black, white, black, white, Mexican, interracial, same race, same sex. Things are meshing. And, and yeah. as the meshing is happening, it creates a discomfort. It creates a discomfort. Um, a discomfort at some of the highest levels to the older generation that needs to be more progressive and get with the times to make sure like, hey, It's one thing to hire somebody who is a friend or to engage in nepotism. Some of those things are always going to happen. But one of the biggest things, if somebody's money is being driven by money, we should be making sound business decisions based on money, right? Of course, ethics, but most people at the end of the day are going to make decisions based on money. If we want to have a brand that represents a diverse world, we have to have diverse representation internally within the brand's infrastructure that can help us better reach our bottom line. Because if we're not doing that, we're not only doing our consumers a disservice, but we're doing a disservice to the bottom line of the organization that needs to have the strategic communication to grow and to sell and to build. And one of the biggest things is we're looking forward into the future. So what does a growing, what does this, what does the world show us now of what what are the world going to look like in 10 to 15 years to 20 years? What is it going to look like for, for our children when they're our age and our brands need to be, if we don't want our brands to become obsolete, we have to be representative of that. And one of the biggest things is continuing to, to push the efforts around diversity and inclusion in organizations and to, to not lose that. Another thing, understand that we're in a recovery space. This is not a, like people say everything is based on, I'm more so based on kind of the Ray Dalio approach of, of the debt cycle and where things are from the economic perspective. And I'm switching gears a little bit with this, mm-hmm. but from the standpoint of where we are globally, there are ebbs and flows. Yeah. Right. There are going to be ebbs and flows. We're coming out of a huge recession. In order to come out of a recession, there has to be a recovery period of some sort. 
right? There's going to be an initial wave and there's going to be some things that happen. But the supply chain has to catch up with the return of the customer demand and a lot of the things that are going on. And that takes a while to catch up when things have been shut down for two years. In some industries, almost some industries became obsolete. A lot of business shuttered. It takes a while to come back from a two-year shutdown in business. It takes a while to recover. It takes damn near, if you have a small business, if you have a bad quarter, it takes you six months <laughs> to make up for a bad quarter. So if you True. put that on a global level, looking at a, a nation, a superpower, it takes a second. And so there are different approaches. I'm not saying the approach is right or wrong or what's happening. I'm not privy to everything that's happening. But what I do know is that in order to get back to a certain space, we have to be a patient and, and also deliberate and allow the process to unfold and follow. There is a cycle in place that we can kind of catalyze the cycle, but the cycle has to take form. It's like a metamorphosis, so to speak. It's like, okay, we were in a cocoon and now we have to give time to like kind of grow and get back to kind of where we were, you know? Um, yeah. And the another thing that I would say is, is that don't lose steam on in-person, in-person interactions. We can, we can use digital. There's nothing like li- delivering a, a sales presentation in, in front of a boardroom, you yep. know? There's nothing like shaking somebody's hand. There's nothing like, like, like feeling somebody's energy. There's nothing like allowing your subconscious mind to pick up on the body language and the changes in temperature and all of the things our subconscious mind does when they're in the room with another person. Pick up on all some of those different nonverbal cues, uh, body language, micro expressions of the face, and some of the things that could be sealed and masked, you know, on the Zoom. Like I'm not wearing pants right now. You know what I mean? If we were talking, if we were talking in a studio, I'd have pants on. Do you see what I'm saying? So like, <laughs> like you wouldn't know that. My whole point is, it's like this guy with is dropping gyms and he's in he's in jockey boxer briefs, but he's wearing a nice his his beard is clean. So this is what I shared with you is an example of like social media and digital interactions. You're talking to somebody yeah. with a perfectly trimmed beard, clear skin, nice glasses, a, a nice designer polo, and he's wearing jockey boxer briefs and some Adidas slides. So, in drinking public water, the juxtaposition of that in a nutshell, the juxtaposition of that in a nutshell shows you how digital and social communications have blind spots. Yeah, that's so true. I put on my best face. I put on my best face for this square. Yeah, the example is right there. So true. I can't. I love nothing more than the in person. I, I, there's something I I'm huge on body language and being able to, to read people in, in a room. And when it's very difficult for me to not be in front of people, um, face to face, there's something about that to me that the, there's no replacing the feeling that it gives you. Um, and that's zooms and Microsoft teams love it. It's been great and it serves a purpose, but it doesn't, for me, it can't replace that in-person touch. That is a necessity. Don't lose one of the biggest things I could say to culture in the last five years. Don't lose that in-person touch. As a man, as you know, it's nothing like sitting in front of a, a beautiful young lady at dinner. <laughs> nothing like that feeling. It's a good feeling. You know? Yeah. Nothing like sitting in front of that business prospect and seeing them face to face and saying, Hey, let's let's take your business to the next level. Let's see how, yeah. how Brand Vista Ellis Adam Group can help you achieve your goals. Dude, there's no I can't agree more. There's no better feeling than closing a deal face-to-face with somebody and then put it, getting a smile on their face saying, let's do this and shaking your hand. I'm sorry. There's like, well, it's finding the actual sound, the sound, the sonics of signing a contract or signing a check, the actual sound of it, the tactile feel of the paper, nothing that could beat that. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. And I can't thank you enough for hanging out. Um, is great information. Um, I think we should like do this every so often because I think as as culture continues to evolve, as the economy evolves, as brands continue to evolve, um, I think the the content and what we what we talk about and the information that we share with each other, I think that will continue to evolve. And I think that I, I say the reason we do this for me. It's not because I'm trying to get more followers. It's not 
for there's one reason, the only reason why I take the time to do these each week is because if there's one person that's listening, then it helps them, whether it's decisions they need to make. Maybe they're having a tough week as a building their brand and this gives them the motivation to keep going. If there's one person that's benefited from doing it, then it's worth my time. Um, and the, that was made clear to me after I would, I started doing a podcast and I, I was like, you know what? I just, I don't know that it's really worth doing this. I'm so busy. And somebody reached out to me that I didn't know through a social media channel that said, Hey, I just want to let you know, I, I stumbled across your podcast and I was dealing with X and you helped me. And I made a better decision because of something that was said through somebody you were talking to on a podcast. And I just wanted to say, thank you. And literally that was, I was like, you know what? That's why, that's why you should be doing this. That's all the motivation I needed to say, if I could just help somebody, um, then it's worth it. And it's individuals like yourself that give up a little time, um, to come on this with me and, and share so much amazing knowledge that is helping someone out there. And I can't thank you enough for that, man. Man, thank you for the opportunity and, um, yeah, keep inspiring, keep, keep creating a platform for like people like us to talk and build and grow. And um, if anybody listening, you know, wants to, you know, continue to follow our journey. Um, we have a social media and branding agency um, here in the U S and um, we support businesses across multiple industries. And we'd be glad to help you. Um, you can reach out to us at yourbrandvista.com or meet me on social media at Jesse builds brands. And we can discuss how, we can make your brand better in the future. I love it. I love it. And if anybody's listening, if you didn't catch that, rewind, go back and listen to it. Reach out to me. I can make sure that I get you in touch with Jesse and his team. They do a phenomenal job. They're literally some of the best in the business. And I consider an honor to continue to consider you a friend. Uh, I look forward to seeing you next week as well. Uh, in yeah. Person. Oh, yeah. See, see you in Formula One. See you in Formula One, baby. Let's go. Yes, sir. Thanks, right. everyone, for hanging out. Chris Adams here. You've been watching The Peak Elephant. Feel free to follow me at Chris Adams underscore E-A-G. And I uh, look forward to uh, seeing you guys next week. Have an amazing weekend, everyone.